since later on if we, we get around to it but the one thing I realized about the Bonanza song is you don't actually have to say the words it just makes sense no matter what you say whatever direction you go in it's just fine how's the Bonanza song get them up move them out move them up move them in turn them left turn oh. them right get them down go them up rawhide actually that's rawhide isn't it that's rawhide shit what's Bonanza 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 um what a week it's i feel like january doesn't end it's been the longest week of my life feeling a little jack torrance myself this week everything seemed meaningless and pointless um leaves a bad taste in my mouth makes my stomach hurt my heart race just being alive in general mm-hmm. you just feel like i'm barely Better hanging your whole family barely hanging <laughs> on don't know what's gonna happen Everything is completely, completely fruitless, including this stupid, shitty podcast that no one listens to. So. <laughs> That's not true. There's like 10 people. Hopefully. Well, <laughs> we'll just we'll struggle through it like everything else. Hey, girl. You shit with that ass? <laughs> nope. I got that like stuck in my head. I like, stay, say it all the time in my brain all the time now. <laughs> shit with that ass? <laughs> um, are you an undershirt or a no undershirt guy? Like if you wear a button up or a flannel or a dress oh. shirt, do you wear an undershirt? Um, I, I for the longest time I didn't, but then when I started working at that job where I had to wear a dress shirt every day, I became a undershirt guy. Otherwise, I'd get pity stains. Mm. I guess it makes sense if it's for um a logistical reason like that. I was like watching something. I think it was like the McElroy brothers or whatever. I noticed they were all wearing undershirts, and I was like. I fucking hate that. That's like the look of cowardice to me. <laughs> look of cowardice. Yeah, like if you, yeah, if you wear an undershirt, like you're a coward. Like, no, get that taco meat out. <laughs> Let me see the chest hair. Let me see them them flaps and folds. Yeah, I've only ever seen like wimps wear it, so I don't know. It's not for me. I don't like wearing undershirts. I prefer to wear as like little clothes as possible. Yeah, so it's definitely like as few as layers as possible. I don't know if I could ever live anywhere where it actually gets cold because. I don't like wearing jackets and stuff that much. Well, no, I like jackets, but then I don't like keeping them on. I like taking them off. Mm-hmm. I like dripping them over my shoulder and walking dramatically. This is weird, too. I don't think I want to live anywhere that doesn't have Spanish place names. So I got to stay like in the <laughs> southwest. Yeah, in the west coast. You can't go any, get any, any further east than Texas. Yeah, I don't want to go live on the east coast where things are like fucking old white uh, dude names. I guess you can go up to like New York. They got Spanish there? Oh, no, they'll have Native American names. Yeah, no, both oh, Spanish. Yet. Only Spanish names for me. Oh, no, I don't like French shit either. 
Damn French. <laughs> uh, your favorite poet when you were like 20 years old was uh, John Arthur Rimbaud. Yeah, John Arthur Rimbaud. But he was a ghetto prince of gutter poets. Basically, I mean, he was uh, outside the, the norm. He was not a mainstream member of society. He often made fun of mainstream French culture. We oui. Or European culture in general at the time. We. Oui. We oui, we. Oui. That's like I like Jean Genet too, but he's all about being a criminal. Yeah. How do you feel about Robespierre? Uh, he's all right. You ever hear that rumor that supposedly he was Irish? Yeah, I always like that rumor because like Robespierre is not a real name. Yeah, like they'd say his name is probably actually Pierce, and he's like, you know what? It's just not working in Ireland. Why don't I head on over to France and cause trouble? <laughs> and and boy, he did. What other French guys do I like? Well, I don't know. Not too many. Daft Punk, Charles de Gaulle. <laughs> Uh, maybe I already mentioned Jack Torrance earlier. Oh yeah, we watched that's because we watched The Shining. Guess what I did this week? I read The Shining too. You read the whole Shining in one week? Is yeah, I'm actually about halfway pretty... through Doctor Sleep too. Oh well, I I had to stop reading Lonesome Dove, which I was a little upset about. Yeah, uh, and The Witcher, which I was not upset about at all. No, fuck The Witcher. I might go back to The Witcher, but Lonesome Dove I'll probably finish today or tomorrow. Previously, I talked about how I liked The Witcher because it was just some dumb, corny nonsense, and I'm tired of everyone trying to act like prestige television is anything. Now that it's like popular and they like turn the, that shitty throw a coin to your Witcher song into like a meme and that sort of shit, I can't stand The Witcher now. <laughs> hey, you're back on my train, are you? Yeah. I, it turns out I am just one of those like shitty assholes. It's like as soon as something gets popular, I don't like it anymore. Yeah, I've known that since you're. I feel boy. like I have logical reasons for it though. It's mostly um. I don't like other people very much, and I think they have bad taste, and they often do, and they don't actually into intellectualize or um, well, that explains this podcast is consume media very well. They just turn it into like their weird like consumer identity, and that's the thing too is like that song, sort of toss coin your Witcher is like the uh, corniest worst part of the entire series, but because mainstream society is so corny and terrible, that's what became popular. That's what I mean. Is like people just have poor taste. Like what should have become popular is um, Hunchback Jennifer having sex. <laughs> Turn that into a meme. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a hunchback, so she can't be attractive. 
Yeah, she's like, well, she's got some sort of jaw prosthetic. She makes her mouth sideways. Whoa. Oh, gross. Paint on her overalls. God forbid they actually saw a real woman from like the 1400s. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, I did a similar thing to you, though, uh, in that I watched Dr. Sleep. Oh, did you? <laughs> I made a great sacrifice for this podcast and I watched Dr. Sleep. And it was terrible. Uh, I was going to watch it after I finished the book. No, but the only reason I watched it is because like, I I watched The Shining when I was really young, like five, mm-hmm. six was the first time I watched it. I guess we'll get into that later. But I also remember hearing Stephen King didn't really like this version of The Shining. No, he thinks it's mean. Mean-spirited. Yeah, I can kind of see it after reading the book. Yeah, well, the book's kind of um, hokey Stephen King stuff, though. Which, uh, not to talk bad about or anything, but he is like kind of romantic, right? He loves happy endings and... Yeah, I mean, I don't even say that ending isn't necessarily even that much happier than the than the shining than Kubrick's ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and I almost prefer King's ending, which is weird to say because I really don't generally like King's endings, uh, endings very much. Like the one I like the most is eleven twenty two sixty three, uh, and I think uh, his son helped him with that one. Is what I remember. Hearing. Joe Hill. Yeah, or the other son. I don't remember. I don't know if it's the writer's son or the non-writer's son. The one that appeared in Creepshow, or <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I don't. I haven't. Oh, I've actually, I actually read Doctor Sleep when it came out because I liked The Shining so much, mm-hmm. but I never read The Shining book. And um, yeah, whatever. The movie's uh, same sort of thing. So Doctor Sleep the book is a sequel to Shining the book. Doctor Sleep the movie. Is Doctor a Sleep the movie is more a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining because um, people are more familiar with it. You know, what do they do with Sc- how they get Scatman back though? He died in like the nineties. Oh no, they just have <laughs> another, another older black fella in it. Um, there's also a woman who does a really good impersonation of Shelley Duvall. Duvall. I was like, wow, that's interesting. And not um, this movie. Jack Nicholson's uh, character, Jack Torrance, makes an appearance, and guess who he's played by? Jack Nicholson? No. Henry Thomas. <laughs> oh. From E.T. <laughs> and other shit now. He still acts. <laughs> uh, he's in Gangs of New York, and I don't know what else, else, but Henry Thomas apparently has been acting for years, and I didn't realize it. <laughs> for me, it was like, he did E.T., and then he showed up again in Gangs of New York, and then now he's in Doctor Sleep. Apparently, he's... TV and shit. I don't know. He's around. He's out there. Doing his thing. Yeah, um, it was really bad. His Jack Torrance or his Jack Nicholson impersonation. Mm. Uh, they also recreated the sets from The Shining for mm. the Overlook Hotel and stuff. And Not it's good. time for me to rant about the... We didn't watch Dark Sleep. We watched The Shining, goddammit. Well, it's gonna... Be I haven't a, even finished the book yet. It'll juxtapose the, the craft and art artistry that went into The Shining. Um, I'll just rant about the movie industry again. Uh, so presumably they had comparable budgets for The Shining and Doctor Sleep. I would, know, I would want to bet that in Justice for Inflation, the Doctor Sleep budget was bigger. I, I'm gonna I bet it was way bigger. But presumably, you would think they would have um, been able to recreate the sets from The Shining relatively well, right? Because The Shining is all sets, anyways, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, they all look cheap and terrible, and, like, there was no care or thought put into them. They're just horrible pastiches of The Shining, and then the lighting's off, and blah, the blah, The Overlook blah. Hotel. The Overlook. And so my thinking is, all right, you give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe not enough of the budget was allocated to The only star was you and McGregor, right? Yeah. He's not expensive. No. Um, <laughs> so maybe not enough of the budget was allocated to it, they didn't have enough time, blah, blah, blah. 
And I was, but the cynical side of me is thinking, you know what? They've turned filmmaking into such an industry at this point. I mean, it started off as just an industry, right? When they're just pumping out cowboy movies and shit. Then there was a turn in the 60s and 70s and 80s and stuff where mm-hmm. Artur Cinema came in and you there was a lot of like independent voices or new voices and that sort of thing. Yeah, they all end up being like white guys, but it was the 70s. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and the cinema changed. But now we've reverted so much back into the industrial studio system. When, and things are being made just to turn a profit. Like, that's it. Bottom yeah, like, line oh, this movie, did someone want to... Was this director really excited to make Doctor Sleep or a sequel to The Shining and did it? Or the studio's like, well, this is a popular... Doctor Sleep, you know, Stephen King wrote a sequel to The Shining. Let's make a movie out of The Shining. The second one, Stephen King wrote a sequel to The Shining. Um, the studio bought the rights to it. And they're like, Shining, people talk about Shining. Um Stephen King, people like Stephen King. We can make money off of Dog Sleep. Hey, we're going to make Dog Sleep. Do you want to direct it? And this guy was like, sure. And it was his choice to make it more like the movie than the book. Straight up book adaption. I mean, I think I would have made the same choice. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't think that's a bad choice. But um, my thinking is, though, is because there was there's like a lack of any passion or artistry in mainstream cinema and everything's profit driven and it's just nostalgia bait. Uh, they're like, whatever, here you go, here's the fucking set. And so it looks terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just seems... Well, I mean, again, like, it goes back, if, I don't know. Why did someone make a movie? It's just to make to make money, and then no one really cared about the project. And that's right. That's the, the problem. Well, you could tell, when they started marketing this movie, it was immediately like, oh, okay, yeah. Because I remember was... the marketing just being about The Shining, mostly. Well, it's a sequel to The Shining. Yeah. Wow. Oh, you remember The Shining? <laughs> remember this? Remember this? Can we get you... Captain Walker! Get those money dollars for you now? And that actually... The, that goes back to what I was saying earlier about my problems with uh, society writ large is people are so attached to their consumer identity. I fell down a rabbit hole on Twitter this week where uh, there's this a Twitter account that's called Shit Raylos Say. And Raylos are, of course, people that ship Kylo Ren and Rey. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is whatever. I don't. I that's already a problem to me to invest so much of your identity and free time into um a fucking made product like that, right? <laughs> like a fictional fictional relationship. Yeah, but then um, so this account is specifically dedicated to shitting on people that are uh, Raylos, which means the person who created it probably has their own issues they have their own <laughs> ship that they're interested in right? it's their it's a uh, dichotomy it's they're in the fin fin yeah kylo ren fin what's Ray a fin, fin low <laughs> yeah whatever they're ascribed to some other ship because their consumer identity is also wrapped up in star wars they just happen to have uh <laughs> belong to a different subculture within that fucking product consumer identity and uh the shit that they post is people politicizing their opinions on different ships where like, all right, so if you're a Raylo, oh, they just are fucking sexual deviants and they like abuse and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, yes, you can extrapolate the characters in this children's movie and take it to its furthest extreme and come up with these thoughts. But for there to be an ongoing culture war between groups of people who disagree on what fictional characters in a children's movie that was made to sell toys are just continually arguing about on the internet. 
the value levels of these different fictional relationships <laughs> that they've made up in their head, uh, it's, it's fucking appalling. <laughs> this is why Donald Trump is president. This is why climate change is going to kill us all. I'm People are absolutely so indoctrinated into consumerism that this is like the only level they can engage each other on. It is the most depressing thing that I read this week. And I've had a horrible week, honestly, but well, it's just appalling. I can't believe like this is how society is operating right I now. I mean, I get the why it bothers you and like especially the you know what after this. Well it's week, not why even I, this specific thing. I know this, this idea just in highlighted the, But this in like general. this is like I mean like well, this has been pervasive on the internet since we were, were kids. I distinctly remember going like anime message boards and people having stupid shit fights over crap like this all the time. Um I don't know, it's just People care about the weirdest shit, and I don't know how to change that. I guess my problem with it is um, it is so all-encompassing now. Like, people are invested in different other shit. And, yeah, people argue about stupid shit. But it's all, um, in general, it is all based around commercial properties and consumerism. What's the the answer, then, for... I don't think there is an answer. I think we are too far gone. (laughs) And that's why I don't like The Witcher anymore. <laughs> uh, but, you know, let's talk about a simpler time. 1980, Shining. Stanley Kubrick's still alive. Oh, another thought I had while I was rewatching The Shining for the hundredth time. I don't know. I've seen this movie a lot. Uh, is Maybe it was a good thing Stanley Kubrick died relatively young. Because what if he ended up like Steven Spielberg? Or uh, worse yet, Terry Gillum. I was thinking more of his um, artistic output. I'm sure Stanley Kubrick would have some shitty, terrible. He would have yeah, some <laughs> shitty takes about um, the, the like progressive cultural things that are going on now because he was kind of an asshole, anyways. But I would say more his artistic output. Uh, Terry Gilliam's piece of shit, but his Don Quixote movie still pretty good. He could still make a movie. Steven Spielberg has. I mean, when's the last time Steven Spielberg made a good movie you actually want to watch? Like Lincoln was okay. Right. Oh, yeah, but before Lincoln. Saving Private Ryan, maybe? Yeah. So he's been making just trash cinema for a while. It's either dumb, like, political Washington Post thrillers or just trash, <laughs> like Ready Player One. And Ready oh, I Player forgot One, he made that. I watched the... I was going to watch Ready Player One because oh, I need there's to, I shining stuff in it, but instead I just watched the part, a clip of the part where they actually go into the Overlook. Oh, that's weird. That's not even the book. No, and it's also... um. It's all like mostly CG, and they have the same problem too, where it just looks like cheap versions of the Overlook Hotel. Well, that works for a video game, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> it's just already supposed to be a pastiche, right? Yep. Well, there you go. But uh, yeah, it's basically Steven Spielberg's really fallen off. He was never like at I. He made blockbusters and shit for mainstream society and stuff. He's got a lot of great movies that I love. I'm not trying to talk major shit about Steven Spielberg. But he was never Scorsese anyways, you know what I mean? To compare him to someone from his same like class. No, there's um, not really anybody that is. Kurosawa. Kubrick, you know, I'm, what I'm saying is Spielberg I know what you is mean, not but... the same auteur that like Kubrick is. So maybe Kubrick wouldn't have fallen into the same problems that no, I have no, with Spielberg. You can see it in some but what movies. if what if like Spiel or Kubrick lived longer and he directed like a Batman movie? Like, I don't know. It, I'm, I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> But to get us started is Stephen King was quite disappointed in the final film. While admitting that Stanley Kubrick's visuals were stunning, he said that 
He said that was surface and not substance. He often described the film as a fancy car without an engine. And then uh, my note here says, oh, he big wrong. I mean, I don't know. If you read the book, there's a lot of like themes and shit that he deals with, like uh, you know, the cycle of abuse and uh, addiction, and family and shit yeah. like that. That kind of just gets set dressing for the movie. I get where he's coming from. Um, I don't know if it's. I'd say it's set dressing. It is kind of the entire thrust of the action is how he's able to be manipulated by the ghosts and stuff. It's just much more. It just so there's no payoff for you. Know I mean? It's just a lot more subtle. Well, sometimes there is no payoff for alcoholism. That's what I mean. <laughs> Stephen King is a bit of a romantic, right? Because there is some redemption for Jack Torrance at the end of the book, I believe, right? Yeah, a little bit, not not a whole lot. And like, there's a, there's a distinct like before the Overlook and after the Overlook where no Jack Torrance is act- sort of presented as like kind of an okay guy. I mean, I don't know, a little. I don't. Know, have you if you read the book? No. Okay. Um, not not exactly like. He uh, he was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lost his job at a school because he beat up a kid. <laughs> uh, he broke uh, Danny's arm as a little boy because he was drunk and Danny was playing with his papers. Uh, he kind of has like anger issues and violent issues even before they get to the Overlook. Well, there's a quote from Stephen King where he said that was his major one of his big problems with it is that Jack Torrance was presented as just like a negative figure throughout the whole film whereas in my book blah 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 well I mean there's the thing it's like there, he, uh, Stephen King's Jack Torrance is a little bit more nuanced like where he still mm. has like a good relationship with his son kind of like you know how alcoholics sometimes will have okay relationships you know what I mean yeah I don't know there's more uh, there's more to it and I just don't think that's what Kubrick's film was about what do you think Kubrick's film is about um, is it about how we didn't actually land on the moon um, I'm pretty sure uh, that he filmed uh, the moon landing correct is that what we're on location <laughs> Um, yeah, no, that's so we'll get this out of the way too, real quick. I also watched Room 237 this week, which is a documentary about the many conspiracy theories that sprung from The Shining. Oh, I thought that was that Stephen King uh, short story about no, that's John Cusick. Or something, oh. isn't it? Um, get this out of the way though. Yeah, the biggest one is uh, we didn't actually go to the moon, and Stanley Kubrick's the one who filmed it on a set, right? Yeah, uh, the evidence for tell it, that to the some astronauts. Yeah, evidence <laughs> for it is very weak, and Buzz Aldrin will punch you if you say it. <laughs> It's mostly just Danny has a sweater in one scene with Apollo 11 on it. And kids like space and rockets and shit. So, you know. Um, then there's also the one that, uh, which I think there is uh, some subtext, or at least Stanley Kubrick did throw some things in there about this, that the whole thing is uh, analogous for the violence that um, uh, white European settlers committed to the Native Americans. And there are some elements of that in the film, mostly just the Overlook is um, yeah. a shrine to the opulence of like white power. And it's on an Indian burial ground. And then they still decorate it with Native American. That's the other thing, too. Like like that. But that's more. mostly just I think Stanley Kubrick's just putting that in there because he's specifically trying to point out like the horror of the upper echelons of American society. And it's a realistic depiction of what a shitty hotel like this would look like. In fact, I'm sure that the hotel that they went to that they overlooked based off of probably had a similar backstory because that is, well, you can go to the fucking holiday Inn up here on like, and on like the U S 60 and there's a little like, um, uh, native American museum inside of it. Remember? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can get the scorpion trapped in Amber. Or <laughs> yeah. I still have that. <laughs> That's pretty cool though. <laughs> It's set dressing, and then Steve uh, Kubrick obviously didn't. He, he 
expatriated himself and lived in England most of his life because he didn't like the United States. So, yeah, I'm sure he's it's just thrown in there because, like, fucking look at these assholes in the United States, yeah. Which is an element of the film, right? Is oh, all the best people, right? Yeah, there's a there's an element of classism in the book that is it's there in the movie, but it's not as apparent. Well, um, Kubrick is quite a bit more subtle about everything, which I think benefits the film, or it does to me anyways, because I don't like when things are super apparent anyways. Yeah, but as we've seen, just... unless you make it apparent, no one fucking gets it. What do you mean? The people totally believe that we didn't land on the moon. <laughs> he was very apparent about it. Another big thing people talk about is the impossible architecture in the Overlook. Jack Torrance has an interview in the pink room with Ullman. Yeah. There's a window behind him. But the way that room is positioned when they're walking into it and walking out of it would mean it's actually like in the middle of the hotel and it shouldn't have a window behind it. Um, Like the cyclical nature of the bottom floor. All sorts of stuff like the architecture doesn't make sense. <clears throat> uh, Stanley Kubrick himself said, no, that was mostly because I had visual shots that I wanted to achieve. So the sets had to be designed in a perfect way, like making... A specific example he gave is when uh, Danny's on his trike and he's riding around mm-hmm. the lower floor. I love that shot. Which, yeah, which is great. Is like it, he wanted it to be cyclical so that it could actually be filmed easily. That said, they drew up elaborate like blueprints and shit for the set design and the Overlook Hotel and stuff before they started filming. So I think that might be a little bit of a dodge. I think he might have purposely made the architecture weird just to make it unsettling too. Not because he's trying to secretly hide... The <laughs> Apollo 11 not happening or anything like that, just to make it like kind of make you feel uncomfortable. But it could also just be it was done for the expedience of filming, just to make it more technically achievable. Uh, speaking of the shot where we follow him on a strike, this is one of the first films to use Steadicam. It was a relatively new invention in 1980. Oh, crazy. Yeah. They should go back to that because I'm getting sick of the shaky camera. Yeah, it should, would be cool to see if there was like movement in films again, huh? No, I like close up, long shot. I all right, tight. Here's the thing: is I do, I do have, um, I do like long environmental shots and like tableau vivants sort of filming and stuff. But the, like, I when I was watching Doctor Sleep and it got me thinking about it, like watching Doctor Sleep and then watching The Shining, I was like, man, you barely see like camera movement anymore in films. You just see a lot of cuts. Mm-hmm. It fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Movies are bad now. <laughs> Everything's terrible. Oh, well, we're gonna we're gonna make it through. We're gonna make it <laughs> we'll make it through this one. Maybe uh, the next the next one marks the end. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh shit, oh, Um. Yes. Yeah, fuck that shit. Apollo. It's not secretly we didn't land on the moon. Yeah. That um, fucking what a boring. Some of the other stuff that people talk about, like the uh, possible like uh, homosexual or sexual tension of the film and stuff. Like there's stuff in there, but you can. Well, that's that's open to interpretation. There's some of that. There's that's in the more in the book too. So I think he's just picking up some of. Yeah, he's just putting a little piece, little, yeah. little sprinkles of spice in there. I don't want. I yeah, little, just a little flavoring, little things for you to pick up, make you feel like, oh, what's going on? Like the mystery can stay alive forever, you know. And then also, yeah, it's just a wonderfully shot movie. The sets are amazing. It looks like they're in an actual fucking hotel. Like they put a lot of care and craft into creating those sets. If you don't believe me, watch The Shining and then go watch Doctor Sleep. They recreate the sets and everything looks like it's made out of fucking cardboard. It's, it's like so fucking bad. I'm about to find out. 
Uh, no, I forgot to look. I was going to check to see that how they filmed Dr. Sleep and see if that was part of the problem, too. Because, you know, like digital. It's, film, yeah, it's got to be digital. Everything that's fucking flat. And I know it's like cheaper and easier to film, which is great because that means more people can like it'll be. I just don't get what the, there's got to be some way to fix it. Yeah. But yeah, it just looks so <laughs> fucking flat. And like the, the colors are always too saturated. Like it's like it's. You can't use like natural lighting exactly anymore because it doesn't come through the right way, uh, which I think this is part of the reason why the sets look so bad too because they're not like lit normally and there's like not any depth to them, and it seems like they didn't recreate the sets with as much space as was available at Pinewood Studio when they made the first Shining because there's a part. I where mean that overlook he looks huge or feels huge, when, especially when like the main atrium right where he writes and there's the staircase up to the second floor. That's all a set, but it's huge, right? They have that in Doctor Sleep, but there's a part where Ewan McGregor's standing on the stairs and you can tell it's CG behind him. So they clearly either didn't have enough time, enough money, or enough space to recreate the set, and it makes me just like. Why'd you fucking bother? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know why they did it. It's just get a couple bucks, but I'm tired of people doing shit just for money. <laughs> <laughs> do it because you care. Yeah, do it because love the art form. God damn. But, you know, that's just not how it goes anymore. So let's go back to 1980 when, or I guess later than that, go back to like 1992 or so when we would have probably first seen The Shining. <laughs> well, I was showing this before we started, but I was like five or six when the first time I saw The Shining. And for whatever reason, like, I, I, the Danny and Jack relationship didn't click to me as a kid. So for the longest time, I thought that he was his stepdad. <laughs> well, they are like so distant and weird around each other, mm-hmm. but uh, it's understandable from Danny's perspective, right? Because he's like, well, my dad broke my arm one time and he seems kind of crazy. Also, Danny's got the Shining, so he knows his dad's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, I also after I watched it, I'm like, maybe I got the shine. I used to try to go around trying to talk to people. In my head. <laughs> I still do that sometimes. Like try to see if people can read my thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I had a similar thing when I saw it. Uh, this movie stuck with me my entire life. Like uh, the scene of him on the trike riding around and then going into room 237. That's oh, yeah. cut between them. Like those those things have been burnt into my brain for my entire life. I think. Also, Scatman. <laughs> when I first watched it, though, or maybe one of the earlier times I watched it, I don't know if it was the first time I'd watched it, but I was very young, and I remember watching it and, like, thinking that having a paranormal or supernatural experience was just, like, an inevitability. For <laughs> it's going to happen at some point. I was like, no matter, at some point in my life, like, some crazy ghost shit's going to happen, and I'll just have to deal with it. And it was, like, so terrifying to me as a kid. Turns out, though, nah. <laughs> Not but yet. Anyways. Part of it also was like a lot of people in our family have like spookum stories, especially like the women in our family. I feel like there's yeah, a lot of they got shine to them. So I just always assumed like, oh, eventually I'll I'm gonna get spooked, I guess. Uh, and then as much as I tried in my teenage years and my twenties and all that sort of stuff, still nothing spooky's happened. I know I've been nothing but disappointed by Ouija boards. A Ouija board. Oh, I think you gotta make it yourself is the thing. Can't buy that Milton Bradley shit. <laughs> Gotta make your own Ouija board. But even that's a joke because the Ouija board has always just been the shitty like parlor game. Even before Milton Bradley exists, some dude just made it up. During Milton the or Bradley? Movie, movement. But now I've tried like other things, but man, nothing spooky's ever happened. So it's either um, 
that's the thing is like, oh, a big part of it is belief. If you don't believe, it won't happen to you. I've said this before, but I wish any other fundamental force in the universe worked like that. Yeah, like, oh, man, I wish if I didn't believe in gratitude, I could take off right now. Or mine would be, like, oh, I don't believe in poverty. So that's not a fundamental <laughs> force in the universe, Kyle. That's something we made up. Economics is a pseudoscience. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Actually, economics is totally made up. Every t- <laughs> anytime I tried to read, anytime I tried to read like um, economist articles and stuff, I'm just like, man, this is fucking this garbage. This is bullshit. It's, it may as well be like astrology. It is astrology. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fucking made up. What is the shining? Uh, you got that shine going on. What is it like in the book? What is, you can? Yeah, well, see, here's the thing: because Stephen King has this like kind of interconnected universe. So yeah, well, that's um, something to do with the Dark Tower. Or? Yeah, sort. I guess. Like, imagine Carrie probably has the shine. Uh huh. So it's like telekinesis, mind reading, that kind of stuff. Seeing the past, the future. Yeah, like it's not really clearly defined even in the book what it, what they're capable of, and like some people are more capable of certain things than others. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, Danny is a, a very powerful shine. He's a powerful shine, powerful shine. And like, yeah, like Dick Halloran is, him, he's pretty powerful too. It seems like there's just not a lot of people that can do what they do. Like, mm-hmm. have conversations in their head and shit like that. I was thinking when I was watching it, like, uh, Dick Halloran working at the Overlook as a cook. That would probably, I know he's like a grown-ass man and stuff, but it still seems like it'd be a stressful job for him. Because he'd be like... Oh, I mean, in the book, he makes it apparent that this he's done. This is the last season. He went into room two seven. It's two seventeen in the book, and he's yeah. like, "Yeah, I'm fucking out." Why this? Is, you're in there cooking, like, oh, time to whip up some eggs for the customers and stuff. And you go to crack an egg, and a fucking egg, chicken comes out of it. Yeah, or like that bear suit guy comes with his dick out, and it's you're a- like, "Ah, oh, damn it, <laughs> <laughs> not today, Roger. God damn it, put your dick away, God damn it." Plus, all the ghosts are racist. Yeah, well, it's because I'm from the 1920s. Yeah, so they would have constantly been coming in the kitchen, like yelling slurs at him. Man, he seems—he's such a badass in the in, kind of in the book. Because like when he gets close to the overlook, the hotel starts yelling at him, like telling him to go away, and they're gonna kill him. He's like, Mm-mm, "I'm coming." Um. So in Doctor Sleep, there's uh, vampires that eat the shine. Yeah, they eat brain power. That's the. I'm not again. I'm only like halfway through Doctor Sleep. That's the one part I don't. I really don't like. Is like the bad guys are kind of like, well, they're they're gypsies. They're corny as fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. They're means. so bad at the movie, too. Oh, God. I remember when I was reading the book, I was like, oh, I don't know if I like Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, he's got a, it's a corny king in this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're psychic vampires. And uh, and it's also the Overlook is like um, a psychic vampire itself, right? It's a hungry place. It wants to eat people's brain power. It kind of just seemed like it wanted Danny to become more evil i don't know again it's not clearly defined yeah uh it's uh it's a place that hungers. but uh it's uh just like pictures in a book they can't hurt you right well that's what he thinks presumably is that is that in the book too well yeah and when the book it happens a little bit differently so dan and 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 uh and dick have a conversation about the shining and he's like whatever you do don't go into room 217 mm-hmm. he's like it's like i'm pretty sure these are like pictures in the book i'm i'm i don't think they can hurt you but don't 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 test it, basically. So far, no, none of the ghosts have like come to like punch out Dick Halloran or anything. Right. The only time he got really scared is when he went into room ten seventeen. He saw the room woman, and as he's leaving, because she chases him, and he uh-huh. leaves the room, and he, he hears the door rattles after he leaves. Oh, like, so well, she's able to physically affect yeah. the world. So as far as he knows, though, they just kind of there's like there's hey, what's like, up? It's like a psychic reverb. Yeah. Well, I guess even in Danny's case, the only ghost that 
Salsam is the, the woman, woman in yeah. 217. What makes her so special? Do they ever say in the book? No, but she's the most recent death, it seems like, in the hotel. Oh, so she's more powerful? Maybe. I don't know. We need to get Stephen King on this podcast. <laughs> Answer these questions. <laughs> Answer these questions. Uh, another thing about the movie that uh, when I was very cynical in my teenage years when I watched it, I was like, maybe these ghosts aren't even real. It's just because they're all losing their minds. But there's like a really specific example where like, nah, the ghost got to be real because otherwise he couldn't have gotten out of the freezer or the pantry. Because you know? mm-hmm. they... Absolutely show her locking it and putting in like the pin on the latch and stuff like that. And he still gets out. So yeah, ghost did it. <laughs> I was such a dumb 14 year old. <laughs> There's also like, that would have been the same time period where I was like, yeah, ghosts aren't real. I'm real cynical. And then like, also I'm go to a party and do a ritual and see if we summon a demon. That's probably didn't, why, why it didn't work. Didn't believe in it. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to be a teenager. People yeah, I've fled line somewhere in here. Like, clearly they're real in the movie, right? But I don't believe in ghosts in real life. Nah, I watch, like, spooky videos all the time just because they're fun to watch. And sometimes, like, the dudes in, like, Saudi Arabia and, like, Indonesia that will pop up sometimes, sometimes they do, like, crazy good practical effects. And they, like, hide the cuts really well. <laughs> so I appreciate it from, like, that <laughs> standpoint. Filmmaking standpoint? Yeah. You're out there doing work. And then also, I do, like, um, spooky esoteric stuff and like I engage with it quite often but problem is yeah I don't really believe any of that shit it's just like fun to learn about and I said this to you and like I'm pretty sure I said it online or at least once but like if you're a fucking ghost hunter in a ghost you're like going to see some spooky stuff why the fuck you run away from the ghost yeah hunt it down chase yeah, that you, shit yeah fucking chase it down run That's after it. it I can I can imagine being shocked by, by seeing a ghost right you know the initial shock but then they get they just freak out so much about it. No one's ever been killed by a ghost. <laughs> Fucking get that ghost. The dead only know one thing. It's better to be alive. That's. Uh, I would go in just fucking angry, screaming at ghosts. Like, come out, you pussies. Let's go. I don't, yeah, I don't understand why they don't mess their shit up. Like, so it's like, oh, you're attached to this building, to this room. Some tragic event here. You can't stop haunting it. Or they'll be like, well, fuck your bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... And that's why I don't believe in ghosts. Yeah, it doesn't seem to me like ghosts are real. Sorry. It seems like the boring world is a much more boring place than TV and movies have always told me. Nah, it's just exciting in different ways. No, it's not. Yeah, you can We're get, not careening to like a cool cyberpunk future. Yeah, but now you can get a shot at the movie theater, maybe. So that's pretty exciting. <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the world that Anthony Cobretti warned me or Marion Cobretti warned me about. <laughs> yeah, Cobra became real. Oh shit. <laughs> But uh, it actually turns out you're wrong about everything you just said. The supernatural does exist. Oh, God. Here we and go. we have proof. <laughs> Let's talk about people that have the shine in real life. I have the shine. Why are you talking over this? Yeah. Well, you, I, you, I've, you, ru- like, I've ruined so many horror movies for my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think you got the shine because like, dogs like you and stuff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that a sign? I don't know. I feel like I get along really well with animals, but I'm convinced it's because my eyes look um like animal eyes. <laughs> I, like, I don't know if that's cr- less crazy or more crazy than thinking of the show. I don't know. I'm a pretty crazy person. Remember when I was a kid and I thought it was inevitable that I was going to get spooked by a ghost? <laughs> you still got time. There's that th- uh, this thing I've had about Twilight, though. Not the book series about vampires, but the time of a day. Twilight, where, you know, sun's going down. Sunset. Uh, I call it Twilight because it sounds spooky. It's still ingrained in my mind that like that's like the spookiest time, 
Like, I don't know. And so, like, even now, I feel like there's, like, a palpable energy at Twilight. Or oh, I got that Twilight energy. Yeah. That's the thing, though, is I bring that up because it's uh, I've spent my entire life convincing myself of, like, crazy shit, and I still believe it. And it's mostly because I'm crazy. <laughs> so let's talk about Joseph McMonagall, who's also a crazy person. <laughs> so Joseph McMonagall is a retired U.S. Army NCO and chief warrant officer. Already a bad sign. He was involved in remote viewing operations and experiments conducted by the U.S. Army Intelligence and the Stanford Research Institute. He was among the first personnel recruited for the classified program now known as the Stargate Project. Wait, I think I know this story. Go ahead. Have you seen The Men Who Stare at Goats? That movie about... Yeah. That's that's the Stargate Project. I mean, it's a comical movie. It's based off that. Uh, Stargate Project ran from 78 to 95. Along with uh, colleague Ingo Swan, McMonagall is best known for claims surrounding the investigation of remote viewing and the use of paranormal abilities for military intelligence gathering. Uh, McMonagall describes a remarkable memory of very early childhood events. Uh, This is going to be particularly interesting if you keep Danny Torrance in mind. Are you ready? Mm, I guess so. (laughs) All right. He grew up surrounded by alcoholism, abuse, and poverty. As a child, he had visions at night when scared and began to hone his psychic abilities in his teens for his own protection when he hitchhiked. He enlisted in the army in 1964. I don't think Danny joined the army. He just became a bum. Yeah, he's wandered around drinking. Or a hobo, I guess. No, hobo's fine work. He's a bum. (laughs) Uh, He enlisted in the army in 1964 at the age of 18 to get away from his family turmoil. McMonagall subsequently became an experimental remote viewer while serving the U.S. Army Intelligence. So just like Danny Torrance, he grew up surrounded by abuse and poverty. He had a dad just like Jack Nicholson. Your accent was all over the place in that one. <laughs> uh, Steven Spielberg also thought Jack Nicholson was a poor choice in casting for Jack Torrance. Yeah, actually, I wouldn't have picked and, him. And uh, I kind of also agree because it's Jack Nicholson is known for being crazy. Yeah, right? he's like already like he already. I'm like this guy's fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Danny, they had to cannibalize each other. Yeah. You know about the. Donner party? Also, Danny? He, he sucks. So I have a perpetual crush on Shelley Duvall. So uh, even much as I love The Shining, a lot of time when I'm watching it, I'm like, how dare you talk to her that way? <laughs> <laughs> you don't talk to all of them. Where's Popeye? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Shelley Duvall is absolutely gorgeous to me. I know she's like not classically beautiful. Yeah, but yeah. I don't know. Someone on Twitter the other day was like, to be truly attractive, you have to be kind of busted. And I was like, yeah. I feel that. <laughs> it is like, I'm, I feel honestly, Shelly Duvall is obviously she's a movie star, so she is attractive. Yeah, but it's mostly just like, oh, her teeth are a little bit too big for her mouth. You know what I mean? Simple shit. But there's a picture of her where she has like a face paint on and she's eating cotton candy because she's like out of fair. Two things you do. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, wow, this is like my favorite picture of a woman of all time. But like I said, I'm a weird person. Uh, back to Joseph McMonagall. He <laughs> was also a weird yeah. person. Maybe a weirder person. Who knows? His early career was an NCO and he retired after 20 years as a chief warrant officer. Uh, he was severely injured in a helicopter. Rest in peace, Kobe. Uh, that happened in Vietnam for him, though, not Calabasas. He was involved in intelligence work for 15 years. From 1979, 78, he was known as remote viewer number one at Project Stargate. Ooh, fancy. Project Stargate located in Fort Meade, Maryland. Isn't like FBI a place in Maryland too? 
Lots of shit's in Maryland. Yeah. Oh, Maryland's by Washington, D.C. Maryland, Virginia. That's where everything is. Oh, yeah. That's right. Uh, At his retirement, McMonagle earned his Legion of Merit for his last 10 years of service. I'm guessing that's uh, some sort of medal that um, uh, dorks can get for (laughs) being good for the government. Yep. Okay. Just like Boy Scouts. Yeah. Usually usually they are. I mean, sometimes people get Purple Hearts for doing cool stuff. But generally, it's just like, thanks for being a good boy for the government. Here's the medals. Like when you see like uh, generals testifying and stuff, and they got all their medals on. It's like, wow, he's such a good boy. Um, he, uh, his work included five years of work in SIGINT, Signals Intelligence, and five years in the remote viewing program. He retired from the Army in 1984, but continued to work as a consultant at Stargate until 1993. What is Signals Intelligence? Do you know? SIGINT? SIGINT. I remember them talking about it in... Metal Metal Gear. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I don't honestly. I I probably one of those things I knew at one point, but who, who gives a shit? Well, I don't care enough about the national security apparatus. Well, you got a good idea about who this McMonagall is, right? He seems like a pretty legit dude, pretty stand up fellow. I feel like he's he's definitely got the shine, and he's probably he's got he's given the government so much good information, probably about Russians. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think actually one of his. Oh, we're gonna get to it now. Here's some of his claims that it, were kind of true. <laughs> Oh, no, I mean, they're absolutely true. He did it. <laughs> he used the shining. According to McMonagall, remote viewing is possible and accurate outside the boundaries of time. He believes he is remote viewed into the past, present, and future and has predicted future events. Among the subjects he claims to remote viewed, remote viewed are Chinese nuclear facility, Ooh. the Iranian hostage crisis, oh. the Red Brigades, and Mamar Gaddafi. So he just Which part? Was, he just was checking him out in his palace. Or <laughs> I saw him on the toilet. He writes that he predicted the location and existence of the Soviet Typhoon class submarine in 1979, and that in mid January 1980, satellite photos confirmed those predictions. Oddly enough, that one kind of does. Uh, that one tracks. Yeah, the CIA that kind of does line up with the CIA stuff that they have, because uh, a bunch of records about Stargate were released in 2008. Mm-hmm. We have one of them here that we're going to read in just a moment. But that one specifically is like his, that's his one like big one. Like, oh, hit the nail on the head on that one. <clears throat> he says uh, the military remote viewing program was ended partly due to stigma. Everyone wanted to use it. But Stigmata? Nobody, yeah. Oh. But nobody wanted to be caught dead standing next to it. There's an automatic ridicule factor. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I know how the government hates doing things that work really well. Militarily, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Anybody associated with it could kiss their career goodbye. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it probably didn't work then, huh? <laughs> Stupid. Yeah, but, yeah, the military will take things that don't work and try to make them seem like they do work. You know what I mean? If they, <laughs> this guy's story doesn't track. Damn it. But anyways, I, have, I haven't read this. I'm going in cold. Let's do it. Let's talk about the time he visited Mars. So this is from the approved release from the Stargate Records. It looks like it's August 8th, 2000. Is when this was released. I don't know if it specifies when this interview was taking place. It says May 22nd, oh, 1984 at the 1984, time. 1984, yeah. See, I haven't read it. I already know more than you. <laughs> I, I read through it once. Uh, <clears throat> method of site acquisition. Sealed envelope coupled with geographic coordinates. Sealed envelope was given to the subject immediately prior to the interview. The envelope was not opened until after the interview. In the envelope was the 3x5 card with the following information. The planet Mars... Time of interest, approximately 1 million years B.C. 
That's all he needed. <laughs> uh, selected geographic coordinates provided by the parties requesting the information were verbally given to the subject during the interview. Let's take a look at Mars one million years ago. Mars. Yep, so this I'm is May 22nd, 1984, <laughs> uh, height of the Cold War. I don't know why they're asking him about Mars. <laughs> they were just they just got done with the John Carter books, and they're really hoping they get some new Martian allies. Yes. Oh, this is I a- believe there's a, a fine southern gentleman up there who has an entire Martian army that we might use against the Ruskies. This is taking place at 10 in the morning, 10.09 a.m. That's the best time to talk about Mars. Wondering. All right. All right, now. Using the information in the envelope I've provided, exclusively focusing your attention now, Using the information envelope, focus on 40.89 degrees north, 9.55 degrees west. I won't say it looks like a... I don't know what sort of looks. I kind of got an oblique view of a pyramid or a pyramid form. It's very high. It's kind of sitting in a large depressed area. All right. It's yellowish, uh, ochre-colored. All right. Moving time to the time indicated in the envelope. I've provided you and describe what's happening. I'm tracking severe, severe clouds, more like dust or mar. It's a geological problem. Seems to be like a just a minute. My arms out. It's really weird. Just report your raw perceptions at this time. You're still early in the session. I'm looking at a after effect of a major geological problem. Okay, go back to the time before the geologic problem. Um, total difference. It's uh before there's no uh, I don't know. Oh, hell, it's like a mountain of dirt here and then disappear and then you go before see ah large flat surfaces very smooth angles walls are really large though i mean they're megalithic ah all right (laughs) at this period in time now before the geologic activity look around in and around this area and see if you can find any activity i'm seeing uh like a Perception of a shadow of people, very tall. It's only a shadow. It's as if they're they're not not there anymore. Go back to the period of time where they are there. Um, it's like I got a lot of static on a line and everything. It's breaking up all the time. Very fragmentary pieces. Just report the raw data. Don't try to put things together. Just report the raw data. I just keep seeing very large people. They appear thin and tall. They're very large. Uh, Wearing some kind of strange clothes. All right. Now holding in this time period. Holding in this time period. I want to move you forward from physical location in space to another physical location, but in this time period. Move now to 46.45 north, 353.22 east. Moving this time to 46.45 north, 353.22 east. Deep inside of a 
cavern. Not a cavern, more like a canyon. I'm looking up at the size of a steep wall that seems to go on forever. And there's like a, a structure with a... It's like the wall of a canyon itself has been carved. I'm getting a very large structure. No, uh, no intricacies. Huge section of smooth stone. Do the structures have insides and outsides? Yes. They're very... It's like a rabbit-born corners and rooms. They're very large. I don't feel like I'm standing in one. It's just really huge. Perception is that the ceiling is very high. Walls are very wide. Yes, that would be correct. Alright, I'd like to move now to another location nearby. Alright, move from this point in this time to 45.86 north, 354.1 east. They have, uh, appears to be the end of a very large road, and there's a, a marker thing that's very large. Keep getting Washington Monument overlay, it's like an, an obelisk. Alright, from this point then, let's move to another point. Move now to 35.26 north, 213.24 east. It's like I'm in the middle of a huge circular basin. The range of mountains by almost all the way around. The very ragged, ragged mountains, very tall. Basins very, very large. Scales seems to be off or something. It's just really big. Everything's big. I understand the problem. Just continue. See? Just a right angle corner to something, but that's all. I don't see anything else. Okay. Then let's move into a little different place. Very close. Move from the point you are now and this time to 34.6 north to 13.09 east. A cluster of squares up and down. Uh, it's like you want to make them square anyway. They're almost flush with the ground and it's like they're connected. Something very wide or reflected light. What's your position of observation as you look at this thing that reflects light? I'm mid, uh, oblique left. Sun is, uh, sun is weird. Look back down at the ground now, and we're going to move just a little bit from this place. Just a little bit from this place. Very close by. Now move over now to 34.57 north, 212.22 east. Uh, it's like I can just perceive uh, uh, like a radiating pattern of some kind. It's like some reality, really uh, strange intersecting kind of roads that are dug into valleys, you know, where a road is just a little below the edge. Tell me about the shapes of these things. They're like neat channels cut out. They're very deep. It's like the road went down. Okay. Now I have, I notice electrically you're mulled out a little bit. And I want you to stay deep and recapture your focus here. It's really tough. It seems like it's just always very sporadic. 
I realize that it's very important that you maintain your focus. I have a movement exercise again for you, and this is some considerable distance away. So holding the focus in time, remember the focus in time that you had before, and moving now to 15 degrees north, 198 degrees east. Take some time and get back deep. See the um, intersecting, uh, whatever these are, or aqueduct type things, these rounded bottom carved channels like row beds. See, ah, uh, see pointed tops or something on the horizon. Even the horizon looks funny and weird. It's like a different misty. Eh, like it's really far away. Very vague. Okay, another movement now to 80 degrees south, 54 degrees, or 64 degrees east. See pyramids. Can't tell if it's overlay or not because they're different. Okay, do these pyramids have insides and outsides? Uh -huh. got both. And they're, they're huge. It's really, uh, it's an interesting perception I'm getting. Um, this is a note from the monitor that says, I think that he's losing his ability to move accurately. But he's attracted to things that are inter interesting. So we're going to go with his own. We're going to let him go ahead and explore what seems to be interesting to him rather than move on to the targets indicated here. It's filtered from storms or something. Say that again, sub. There are like shelters from storms. These structures you're seeing? Yeah, they're, they're designed for that. Alright, go inside one of these and find some activity to tell me about. And then... 37 minutes of real-time transpires. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Different chambers are almost stripped of any kind of furnishings or anything. It's like a strictly functional place for sleeping, or that's not a good word. Hibernation, some form, I, I can't. I get raw input storms, savage storms, since sleeping through the storms. Tell me about the ones who sleep through the storms. Uh, very tall again. Uh, very large people, but they're thin. They look thin because of their height, and they dress like, you know, hell. It's like a real light silk. It's not a flowing type of clothing. It's like cut to fit. Move close to one of them and ask them to tell you about themselves. Are there ancient people they're uh dying it's past their time or age tell me about this they're very philosophical about it they're looking for a way to survive and they just can't and then another note here it says plus 40 minutes definite voltage reversal I'm guessing uh Sit there for 40 minutes <laughs> before I get in like, Excuse this guy, what's going on? They <laughs> can't seem to get their way out. They can't seem to find their way out. They're hanging on walls or look or waiting for something to return or something coming with the answer. What is it they're waiting for? There uh, evidently was a. Uh, a group or a party of them that went to find a new place to live. 
It's like I'm getting all kinds of overwhelming input of the corruption of their environment. They're falling very rapidly in their group somewhere. It's a very long way to find another place to live. What was the cause of the atmospheric disturbance or the environmental disturbance? Oh, I see a picture of a like a, a hell. It's almost like a warp in a oh god. This is difficult. It's like going let's see the raw data. Oh, I get a globe. Uh, it's like a globe that goes through a comet's tail or it's through a river or something, but it's all very cosmic. It's like some space pictures. Alright. Now, before you leave this individual, ask him if there is any way that you, uh, or ask him if he knows who you are and is there any way you can help him in his present predicament. All I get is that they must just wait. Doesn't know who I am, thinks he sees I'm a hallucination or something. Okay, and when the others left, these, these people are waiting. When the others left, how did they go? You get an impression of a uh, don't know what the hell it is. It's like the inside of a large boat, very wound of walls, shiny metal. Go along with them on their journey and find out where it is they go. Impression of a really crazy place with volcano, gas pockets, and strange planets. Very bald place. It's very much like going from the frying pan into the fire. Differences, there seems to be a lot of vegetation. The other place didn't have it. In different kind of storm. Alright, it's time to come back now to the sound of my voice. Into present time. To right now, the 22nd of May, 1984. The sound of my voice. Move now back to the room. Back to the sound of my voice. Back further now to the sound of my voice. On the 22nd of May. 1984. Oh god, I'm in the 22nd of May 1984. Oh shit. Ah, that's the end of the So, um. That's it. He went to Mars and he talked to the Martians and shit. Yeah, he saw pyramids and the great channels on Mars. Uh, everyone on Mars is hella big. <laughs> Tall and thin. They live in giant pyramids. Are we sure he didn't go to Sweden? They sleep communally. <laughs> uh, he made sure to throw in some Tolkien-esque, uh, the, the elves' time is over, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> concept about <laughs> the Martians. they the gray shores. Yeah. In addition to this, he also, did, to further laud his accuracy with his remote viewings and stuff, um, he did make a few other predictions, such as, um... Eventually, humans wouldn't wear clothes. It would be replaced by a, a body tattoo styling that would be the replacement for clothes. When was this supposed to happen? Oh, uh, this is supposed to happen in the early 2000s. Oh, well. Fuck you, man. Yeah, so... I think he, ru- he ruined it by talking about it, obviously. He didn't quite nail that one. <laughs> what do you think, though? You think he's got the shine? Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I'm convinced. Yeah, because he said a bunch of vague shit, right? Yeah, I mean, though, the pyramids, everyone knows what the pyramids on Mars. Well, it's also oh, it's a right angle. Oh, it's very uh, it's like an obelisk. Uh, oh, very vague things. Yeah, it was ba- he was basically cold lighting. Yeah, which is uh, for those of know, it's a technique that psychics in air quotes do to um, convince people that oh, we're talking to your grandmother. These 
I'll use vague, open-ended, like leading questions that people jump onto and give them more information, and they lead you through a little, a little adventure in your mind. It's a uh, social puppeteering. It's a uh, bullshit scam. It's a kind of a, a really shitty thing to do to people. <laughs> uh, in this guy's case, though, at least he's just doing it to the government. It seems like they're just having fun, anyways. Right? <laughs> they're just trying to check out Mars, whatever. Okay. I do think he's legit, though. He did uh, find those Typhoon-class subs. uh, One out of, like, 200 predictions. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, I don't know if they said it in the movie, but they definitely say it in the book. But not everything The Shine shows you comes true, so. Oh, well, that's good. So, in the book, um, Tony is actually just Danny as an adult, right? Well, he's, like, an older version of Danny. Because Danny's middle name is Anthony. Right. Tony. So, it's just the way of him... Coping with the shine. With the shine. It, was, it probably would be really terrifying to have the shining as a kid and not have anyone else around you who had it to explain what was going on. Yeah. Like, Dick's good because his grandma had it and she, like, told him about it. Cool. That'd be fine as a kid. Um, Danny's case, also with the tumultuous, like, parents he has. I, I mean, Shelly's ball is not a problem. Yeah, Wendy's not a problem. It's just Jack. And then also uh, going to the Overlook where his shining is like, Hey, murder elevator. Yeah, because he's like... You're at Welcome to the Murder House. You're going to yeah. see some crazy shit, kid. Yeah, why don't you want to go to the Overlook? I can't tell you. Tell me. Come on, Tony. And then it's the shot of the elevator opening and blood falling, pouring out. Oh, strange. Blood gets <laughs> off <laughs> on the second floor. Oh, I guess I don't want to go to the old Overlook. This job, even with the ghosts, I'm like 90% sure I'd still take it. I'd be a caretaker. Yeah, I think it'd probably be all right. Because the whole thing is... um. You're not like susceptible to being alcoholic, anyways. So yeah, I, I can drink like once a week is a good is a is a tough week for me. How's how would the ghost manipulate you? I have no. I started trying to think about in that situation. Yeah, I don't know. I think it'd just be great. You just get to go hang out in the ballroom with a bunch of old ghosts, hear stories, and also like Jack is so weak that as soon as the ghosts show up and start talking to him, he's not confused at all about it. He's just like, yeah, whatever, man. Makes yeah, sense. ghosts. <laughs> Well, I mean, does oh, thanks, Lloyd. They, they, um, there's a line that Dick has about Jack in the in the movie. He's like, I, because he was trying to see if the parents had the shining too. He's mm-hmm. like, I don't know about the dad. I don't think he has the shining, but he's got something. Alcohol makes you yeah, shine. Alcohol makes you shine. Makes you shine. Open, it'll open your third eye if you let it. Nah, not really. Not alcohol. Alcohol is not really known for expanding your. Well, that's <laughs> the thing. Like the whole reason Danny drinks in Doctor Sleep is because it dampens the snuff shine. it out. Yeah. Which makes sense. Uh, that's the so reason, I don't know. That's, that's the reason I drank. Not to like snuff <laughs> out the, the shining, shine. but to, yeah, to you know <laughs> bear down some of the other problems I was having. Well, it makes sense. I think that's probably why a lot of people drink. And it would make sense if that's the case for Jack Torrance too. Is is uh, presumably the shine would be genetic. I mean, Stephen King's um, an old guy from the old times where. Well, I think they say in Doctor Sleep that he, they think, I don't know, Danny even says, I don't think it's specifically genetic. Oh, really? Yeah. That's just retconning, because he's like, I don't want to be accused of, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll throw a magical Negro in once in a while. <laughs> no problem. But I guess that's kind of the Native American aspect of it, too, is like, ooh, it's on an Indian burial ground. You see that shit so much as a kid? I always just assumed that it was because, you know, like, why the fuck are you fucking with dead people? You know what I mean? Like, you didn't need to have it bad enough? You gotta you, you gotta yeah. build a hotel on top of their grave, too? You shits. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about it, though, is, like, uh, 
pretty much everywhere you go is dead people. Yeah. You're just trampling over indigenous land and people. It's a road that you paved over indigenous graves, and you wonder why your dreams are crazed. That's the shine. Well, it has been a rough week for me. This is actually fun to talk about The Shining. I don't know about this Joseph McMonagall character. I don't know if I believe in remote viewing. Uh, this kind of just seems like he's feeding a lot of bullshit. But uh, that also tracks with my other beliefs where it doesn't seem like people have like magic abilities anymore. Who knows? But the, <laughs> the ancient times. Yeah, yeah, the fucking cult from the Dutch sleep got them all. I get, that could be a logical answer for it. Or, I mean, it's all um, coalesced into the reptilian bloodline that, that run our government. <laughs> That's why they, uh, even, like, there's a lot of, like, never-Trumpers and stuff in the higher upper echelons of power because he's not actually a reptilian. <laughs> and they're like, God damn it. You, you know the, what? There's well, motherfuckers. There's someone out there that believes that. I don't need to <laughs> I'm telling. I'm telling you right now. I believe it. I'm telling the <laughs> truth. He's not actually a reptilian when the rest of them are. They're like, yeah, damn, one of those goddamn monkey men got in. <laughs> they elected a monkey man. They didn't though. They almost elected a reptilian woman. She won by three million votes. <laughs> Why didn't they let that reptile in? Because <laughs> Hillary Clinton is definitely a reptilian, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> uh, next week we're gonna watch Shogun Assassin. Shogun Assassin. Yeah, you mean Wolf, Wolf and Cub? Part two and, and three of, smashed yeah. together. We, uh, I know we watched Ran recently, but, um, but now we got us some real This is a totally garbage. different kind of movie, you fucking racist. <laughs> yeah, Kira, Kurosawa's movies are a whole different world than Shogun Assassin. But it's gonna be dope. Um, oh, we got our sword and sorcery shit coming up too. End of the month. Oh, I think we actually have Conan coming up soon. Oof. Conan. 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 Conan, what oh, is man. best in life? I don't know if we're going to watch another Deathstalker. <laughs> you can't take another Deathstalker? I don't think so. Tits out for Deathstalker. It was fun that one time. <laughs> we'll revisit Deathstalker in like five years. <laughs> It'll take me a while to build up the resistance to it. <laughs> it's like um, if you try to do shrooms like two times in one week, you have like your tolerance is all fucked, so you don't even really trip the second time. That's me and Deathstalker. But you just got to take double the amount. Gonna take it. Well, I there's a specific time where I did like I took an eighth all on my own, which is uh, that's a lot. Uh, it's a pretty big dose, and then tripped real hard, and then uh, it just came up later that week we were going camping, and it was like gonna trip again, and I was like, I'll just do another eighth. That seems to be like the sweet spot for me, and I was and I, had, I already knew like in my mind like my tolerance is gonna be up. It's not gonna be exactly the same, but it seems like the good avenue to go. And man, we just went out to the woods, and I just threw up and was like, yeah, it's nice to be in the woods. <laughs> so, you know, it Unless works like that sometimes. Unless around. Ghosts, boogans. Yeah, but they don't come until nighttime. Uh, th there's definitely spooks in the woods. That's probably the main reason we don't have magical spooky stuff going on anymore, is because we don't have as many woods, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to be magical and spooky, you should join the VHS cult. By going to adventureproductions.com. You go to vhscult.com. vhscult.com. We own them both. Them Fuck all. you. We own the internet. Follow us on Twitter. Tell your friends and family about us. Listen to Scatman Crothers' Ghost Riders in the Sky cover. It's great. He's got a cover of it? Oh, it's really good. You should do it. Nice. It's, 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 it's jazzy. Oh, speaking of Scatman Crothers, he's in this movie because he's really good friends with Jack Nicholson. Um, Stanley Kubrick made him cry a couple times with the filming it because... 
Stanley Kubrick uh, fucking. He, he made Stanley I can't make Carlos cry. He, I knew he was a piece of shit to Sherry Lee Duvall. Oh no, he wasn't being a piece of shit to him. It was just because they were doing so many goddamn takes. Which is exhausting because Scatman Crothers was 70 years old when they made this movie. You know, I have a great story about Scatman when he was filmed, uh, recording jazz on the Transformers. Uh, the guy that voiced Bumblebee did an interview, I want to say a few years ago. And he was talking about by the second season there were so many people in the cast that they didn't all record in the same room anymore. They'd only call people when they had lines to record. Mm-hmm. And I guess they recorded it like a radio program. Um, so when you weren't on call, you'd just sit back in the waiting room with all the other cast members. And apparently Scatman used to sit back in there the entire time and play his guitar and sing. Nice. That's good for everybody. They, uh, Batman animated series was filmed like a radio broadcast. I didn't think they did that for very many cartoons. Especially ones that were straight yeah, up weird, just right? like, we're trying to sell that was toys. A TV, a cartoon for, uh, for TV, or for toys. <laughs> yeah. I can't talk now. It's too <laughs> much of, I got this, this projected motherfucker in my head. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> It's funny to me that, um, I mean, the nostalgia of Transformers had its hooks in me and you for a while, but, uh, because, like, fucking character designs of fucking robots that turn into cars, that shit is dope, I'm still down with it, but, um, remember when they made the Transformers movie, and it was such, like, a debacle, and it's like, yeah, probably a cartoon that was made specifically to sell toys isn't gonna translate very well as a movie. There is a lot of extended lore around Transformers that the fans have come up with, like, might work. And as, comic books and shit. Like, yeah, it might work, up. but... Based off, it's like just nucleus of what it is. You know, probably not gonna be a very good movie. And then um, Disney said, "Fuck it, we don't care." Star Wars, <laughs> and that's VHS occult crew message. Occult crew. Well, I don't know. Uh, bye. <laughs> bye.